Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening. Lord, we do thank you that you are here. We thank you that we have had this opportunity to, to worship you and to uh, spend time in your presence. And Lord, now as we switch to reading from your word and, and learning, and Lord, I pray that you would also be present in, in this conversation. Lord, that you would uh, show yourself true, show yourself strong, and reveal yourself to us through the word that we might uh, learn and grow. We love you and we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're still in 2 Corinthians. We're moving on uh, into chapter 11. Last week we uh, wrapped up chapter 10, uh, kind of for my own sake, but uh, partly because I missed some sessions. Um, I'm going to back up and do a little bit of a background on the whole uh, two letters to the Corinthians, and um, it does give a good uh, foundation for where we're at tonight in chapter 11. So um, 2 Corinthians, yes, correct. 2 Corinthians 11. So in Acts 18, Paul starts the church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. So that was, this is his doing through the work of God in his life. And this is what, um, so this was, this was dear to him. So just remember that as we go through this. Um, later on, he's, he hears about the struggles they're having and that the church is having. And just picture a big city. We're talking, you know, estimates of, 300 to 600,000 people, so no small town, no small um, place for this church to be held, and so it's an influential city. It's, a, it's got a lot of ship traffic, and uh, so it's, it's bustling, and it, there's always, with that industry and, and um, affluence is going to come perversion, and so they're facing the same sins that we do now, and so just picture that. Um, so that brings us to the first letter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. So Paul wrote, uh, wrote to them, and then a lot of people rejected his authority in that letter. They, did not, um, they, they were not repentant, and so whatever the case, we'll get into it a little bit in 2 Corinthians here about how Paul defends his authority. We heard a little bit about that last, uh, last week, but the people did not believe it. The people did not accept it, and so... Paul uh, talks about a painful visit. Uh, it's not spelled out like that in the Bible, but in one of his missionary journeys, he stops by Corinth, and um, finally some people are starting to see. Some people are starting to repent, but there's still a remnant um, that were not convinced. They did not like the way Paul preached to them. They did not like the way he lived his life. Um, so we'll get into that more as we unpack chapter 11. But some of the things they didn't like were his style of preaching, and uh, they didn't like that he didn't receive money from them, and that's basically it. They thought he talked about suffering too much, and, and they just they couldn't quite accept it as as authoritative. And so we bring in Second Corinthians, chapter eleven, or Second Corinthians, and then he's writing this book, this letter, to convince them of his love, but also to defend and remind them of why he has the authority to speak the way he has been and to remind them that ultimately, as we see as we get to the end of Second Corinthians here, his authority is not his own. His authority comes from God because of the suffering and because of God is, uh, through God is where he's getting this power. So that brings us to Second Corinthians. Um, so the, the book of Second Corinthians, the, the 
central theme is, is relating to the suffering of Paul, but also the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life as he ministers and, and through the message. So we, uh, there's, there's questioning. He's defending himself in chapter 8. There's defense in chapters 10 and 11 about his personal courage. Um, some of these uh, false apostles had argued that if he suffered that much, surely that he's not spirit-filled as an apostle of the risen Christ. So throughout the whole book, um, that's Paul's defense and just showing them his love and, and, and defending his, um, his suffering. And then we're ending here in the next couple chapters with just Paul really kind of stooping to their level in a sense. It talks right, opens the chapter about bearing with them in a little foolishness. And uh, so that's where we're going to jump in. I'm going to go ahead and read the first uh, portion of the, the chapter, and then we'll break down uh, verse by verse, and hopefully we won't talk too fast this time, and we'll be able to learn some things from the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that you that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not untrained in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows. So uh, we'll continue on here. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So as we go through this, we'll see that this section is very... Um, it, it borders on sarcastic and, and biting comments from Paul regarding uh, some of these things. So, starting in verse 1, Paul's asking them, is one of these poisoned, Brian? Are they fresh? Okay. So, Paul starts out saying, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. So what was this folly that he was talking about? Um, he really didn't want to do this. He really did not feel like he wanted to stoop to this level of 
what the other uh, super apostles were doing, the other eminent apostles, as it says in the New King James. Um, he called it foolish because he did not, he didn't think it was necessary to boast in his accomplishments, but he was basically saying, you know, just hear me out, let me, let me get through this. And if we look down through at the way the other uh, apostles handled themselves, they were likely very boastful themselves. And so for Paul to think that he had any right to boast would have been fully foolish to them. So Paul was just saying, you know, you think I'm foolish? It's fine. Just bear with me. Let me get through this. And uh, it was not a, an, an arrogant boast. It was a, it was a foolish boast because if you look in, uh, if, you, if you compare to how Jesus teaches us to not boast in anything, uh, Paul is saying, you know, for me as a, as a follower of Jesus, this is foolishness to have to do this. But I'm going to do it anyway because I, I really love you guys. And as we see, as we get down into this, Paul really did have a deep, a deep love for this, this church. And it was very dear, they were very dear to his heart. Um, and Paul knew where he was going with this letter. Paul knew what the end result, what he was going for. So to him, he was just saying, you know, have patience. Um, let me talk. And so he knew that whatever he had to say was already pretty much going to sound foolish to those that didn't want to hear it. As hard as it is for, for these apostles, or for, well, let's equate these apostles with someone proud, um, as hard as it is for them to admit where they have weakness, so it's hard for someone who is truly humble to admit when God is using their weakness. And I think uh, that's where Paul found himself. It's hard, it was hard for him to, to really come out and just spell this out in all the detail of how God has been using him, but yet it was necessary to, com uh, to combat what they were boasting of. Something for, for us for practical out of verse 1, I wanted to look at just, I guess, uh, something that stood out to me was that we need to be careful about wasting our time explaining ourselves to someone who's, gonna, who's already opposing us, especially within the church. Um, Paul knew where he was going with this letter. Paul knew that he truly was a servant of God, but we have to be very careful about proving ourselves, and, and, and um, it has to be done, like Paul, as we see in the next couple of verses, it has to be done out of love. It has to be done for the benefit of the people that are hearing it, not for boasting ourselves or lifting ourselves up, not for proving anything. Um, don't try to prove a point for yourself. If you're trying to, to explain yourself or, or defend yourself, I guess, as Paul was, make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. And there's a verse in Matthew 7, 6 that talks a little bit about this that I think uh, applies a little bit. I mean, it's, I hope I'm not taking it too far out of context, but it's give not that which is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Um, and I, I don't want to take that to the extreme and say don't, don't reach out to those people, but I, I want us to be careful about wasting our, our energy and our resources just to defend ourselves. When someone's already opposed to us, 
then we need to, to really be sensitive to the Spirit and how we approach them. And I think that's what happened with Paul here. Paul really knew where he was going with this, and he was fully obedient to the Spirit, and so that's why it worked. And he knew the church at Corinth. He knew his audience. So um, that's something very uh, practical for us. We need to know who we're talking to, and we need to really uh, be obedient to the Spirit. And then have, a, have an outcome, have a goal in the outcome of, of your argument and, and your defense. Um, Paul's was that he was, in verse 2, trying to present a pure bride, a, a, a pure church. Um, he cared deeply about their souls because he had started this church and he had seen them leave the faith and now he had to win them back, but it was a, it was a matter that was very personal to him. And so um, that's the challenge for me out of verse 1. <coughs> Make sure you um, heed the Spirit when you when you go to, to this length of, of defending your approach. Verse 2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Um, I think I rent, already mentioned it once, but Paul, Paul really did love the church, the people of Corinth, not just because they were dear to him, but it was, it was something that God had placed in his heart for this church. And I don't know if it was Greek or Hebrew, I'm not a scholar, but the, the root meaning of this jealousy had to do with a warm feeling toward, not, not jealous as in covetous or, or like wanting what they have, but jealous as in, um, I, I equate it with proje protective jealousy, uh, careless of self, not focused on self. So Paul really did um, have their best interest in mind. And if you look at how it talks about the betrothal uh, in the second part of the verse, um, I had to kind of think of Paul as a father protecting his daughter. And, and you know, when I really get to thinking about that with having two daughters, uh, it changes the way that word jealousy really comes off. Like there's a deep level of, of care and protection that Paul was, was uh, speaking about here. And it had to do with their, their holiness, the church's holiness, their integrity, um, I guess their purity as a, as a church. And, and he was desiring to present them to Christ. They had been converted through that, um, through his teaching, and, and he wanted to be able to present something pure to Christ. Um, he equated us to a betrothal. Um, I'm, I think we heard a little bit about it last week, but a, a betrothal is is a type of engagement in that time period. And uh, it's a little different than an engagement now. Typically, a betrothal is it's a legally binding agreement, and um, it can only be broken by death or divorce. And it was, um, if someone in a betrothal broke the arrangement or um, committed adultery, that was um, the same as marriage. And so for me, the verse, the practicality out of verse 2 here is <coughs> are we as a church, and I'm not talking about our church here, but uh, just more about each person individually, but are we committing spiritual adultery? Are we 
looking to other things? Are we giving our hearts to other things? And that's what had happened. These people had, had been s- deceived. This church had been led astray into other things. It, it, there's not a whole list in this chapter. There's previous uh, examples in other uh, letters about the sin that they had become involved in. But the reality of it was they had simply, they were no longer a pure bride before Christ because they had given over to, they had given their hearts to something and someone else. So that's the challenge. Uh, challenge for us is, are we, are we truly sold out and uh, betrothed or, or in a covenant relationship with Christ, or are we still giving ourselves over to other things in place of Christ? And uh, can range in many different uh, areas. Verses 3 and 4. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So Paul was very concerned about them losing the simplicity of the gospel, and that was something that really um, I wanted to make sure we keep as our as a kind of a theme for tonight's portion of Scripture is the simplicity in Christ, the simplicity of the gospel. Um, Paul was very concerned about this, and he was warning them. He was scared that they were already deceived because of these uh, preachers that had come in preaching something else other than the true Jesus. So seldom do we, and when we look at the world and we see the evil out there and we know that it's wrong, it's pretty easy to see, especially with where the world is today, um, and we're aware of the sins and the evil of the world, and it's, it's pretty much in our faces and we know how to deal with it because we're, we're prepared to fight that. But what these apostles were doing and what I think is happening a lot in the church today is partial truth. Enough truth mixed in with the lie that we, we just believe it. And it says in verse 4, they put up with it. Um, look back as far back as the Garden of, Eve, Garden of Eden. This is what the devil used to convince Eve to sin. He, he placed doubt in her mind by saying you will not die. The truth of the matter is she would not physically die, which, so that's you know, the partial truth. But God was speaking of a spiritual truth, and, and the devil knew that, the spiritual death, I'm sorry. The devil knew that, but he used that partial truth to convince Eve to question God, and, and that's how it starts. It's just a simple little uh, doubt placed in her mind by something other than the complete truth. Um, I had to think that I, I think partial truth is is some of the wor- is is the worst form of deceit because the one being deceived and the deceiver both can come to believe that that's the truth and and there comes a point where 
unless you're rooted and grounded in the, in the Word, there's, it's almost impossible to tell what's true anymore, and, and it's a very dangerous uh, path to go down. Think about the church and think back, uh, you know, not that long ago. I don't think one day someone said that in 2023 we're going to have openly gay pastors leading the church. No one, no one said that in the church. But what if back in 1950 someone said we're going to be okay with our worship leader, our female worship leader dressing like a prostitute? A compromise that slipped into the church, not directly connected, but a compromise nonetheless. Um, and then in 1980, someone said, God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be blessed, and God wants you to have a good life, and God wants you um, to give to this ministry, so give to this ministry so that God will bless you. And they're not necessarily connected, but it just shows a little bit of the tiny little things that happen that can begin to lead the church further down the road that suddenly, if you jump from 1950 to 2023 and look at the drastic difference of, of someone openly living a gay lifestyle, preaching, proclaiming to be preachers, um, it's even kind of shameful to, to, to call them that because they really are false teachers, they're, they're false apostles, there's nothing uh, anointed or sanctioned by God about that. So um, that's talking about the church, and Paul's talking about the church here. But I had to think about my own life. This is serious business in the church to, to make sure that we're, we're preaching and teaching the truth. pastor knows the weight of it. He's, he's mentioned it before, you know. But what about in your own life? What about individually, day by day? Are you preaching and teaching yourself the truth of what God um, says in his word? Or are you allowing compromise in? Are you following partial truths or um, veering from the whole truth? And I think it's, I think it's safe to say that a partial truth is a whole lie. Um, I, I don't think calling a partial truth really is even correct in the fact that truth is, is something that is complete and it is, is not changeable. Um, as we look at scripture and as we look at the authority of God's word. So I think if we would admit and would call it out like that, that some of these things are not um, half-truths or partial truths, uh, just we have to admit that this is, this is a lie. This is a whole lie, complete package deal of a lie meant to drag us away from Christ and down to, to, to hell. Tennyson writes, a lie that is all of a lie can be met and fought outright, but a lie that is partly the truth is a harder matter to fight. So just keep that in mind as we look at these verses as we go on in your own life. Um, make sure that you're, you're fighting, uh, you know, understanding the, the lies that the devil might be trying to get into uh, planned in your life. So what was Paul concerned they were going to be deceived from? And it tells us in verse 
Verse 3. He was concerned they were going to lose the simplicity that is in Christ. We as people complicate things so much. Um, it's part of our nature. It's part of the free will we've been given. But we just, we do. We make, it, we make a mess out of things because we, we start trying to hold our own story together. We try to take these lies and we try to, to blend them to a point where it begins to, to make sense to us. And I really had to think of how messy that gets. I mean, think about a child that has told his parents a lie and rather than confess it and, and own up to it, they have to tell another lie and another lie and suddenly, more times than not, you're caught in your own web of lies because it becomes so complicated you can't keep your story straight. So just keep that in mind as it, as it comes to things about Christ. It's not about a lie, but it's about the simplicity. It's about don't make it more than it's supposed to be. Speak the truth, speak the truth in love, and let, it, uh, let the simplicity that is, is from Christ, not from us. Just a reminder, that's where Paul had his power. Paul's power was in Christ, not in himself, not in his powerful words or anything like that, as we'll see further down. We just came through the, the discipleship class, and, and um, the knowledge of the holy was probably one of the most impactful books for me to just systematically go through and look at all the different dynamics of the attributes of God and, and what that really looks like, how they cross over. And, and at times it was really hard to, to stay focused on the simplicity of that, the beauty of that. It was, you know, there's a lot of theology there that we can get wrapped up in. But if everywhere we look in nature that is untouched by humans, it, it is so simple, right? There's beauty, there's detail, but the foundation of everything is so simple. It's based on something, a simple plan. We have four seasons. They repeat. They've always repeated. They will always continue to repeat because we know God is faithful. And that's just another example of how Christ has, he's simple. He, he wants us to understand him. He wants us to understand that. So when religion becomes complex, uh, we have to be careful once we start complicating things with um, things of religion rather than the simple gospel, we need to be careful uh, not to, to go down that road. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, as life in general becomes more and more complex, so religion tends to be affected in the same way. It seems to be assumed that if the affairs of men are so difficult and complicated, the affairs of God should be still more complicated because they are still greater. Hence, there comes a tendency to increase ceremony and ritual and to multiply organizations and activities. The argument is that the, it is ridiculous to assert that the vast problems of life today can be solved in an apparently simple manner suggested by those who preach the gospel in the old evangelical manner. The fact is that as we get further away from God, life becomes more complicated and involved. We see this not only in the Bible, but also in subsequent history. The Protestant Reformation simplified not only religion, but the whole of life and living in general. The truly religious life is always the simple life. So what's this simplicity? It's simply what God calls us to in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The simplicity that we're, we're striving after, the simplicity that Paul was concerned about his church losing was that simple daily relationship and intimate fellowship with Christ. 
nothing more, nothing less, a love for Jesus that is the foundation of everything that we do. Um, we can get, we can lose this simplicity because of life, pressures of life. We have um, Christian activity can, can be a, a problem for it if we lose ourselves in the actual activity rather than in the, the heart of what Jesus is calling us to do. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about theology. You can actually lose the simplicity of Christ by digging deep into the scriptures and, and focusing on the knowledge of that. Um, we need to always remember that the more knowledge we have about Christ, the more we need to stay focused on, on his simplicity and not get bogged down in our knowledge and not, not complicate things. These things are not wrong. We have to live. We have to work. We, have to, we want to serve. We want to be involved in the church. But we just have to remember that they're not the main point. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. So Paul in Philippians, in responding to this part about just simply living in Christ, just simply says, for me to live is Christ. He talks about dying, being gained. But Paul understood that for him to live is simply Christ. That's all it was. And that was, that was him understanding just a quiet, humble understanding of the presence of the Lord in his life. <clears throat> so if I were to ask you, what's the probably the most common children's song? What would uh, be your answer? I'm open to input. I, I just kind of thought of that spur of the moment. But most common children's song that sung, if I were to ask you. Thank you. Carl Barth, a theologian, was once asked, what is the greatest theological thought that has ever crossed your mind? His answer was not as complicated as one might expect. He simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I think uh, we lose sight of that sometimes, and, and it's important for us to remember. And then out of that, you know, I'd like to add on to that, that out of that, that love will compel us to go reach other people. That will drive and be the driving force, but that has to come first. That love for Jesus um, needs to be the foundation. So back into the Corinthian church here, <clears throat> these apostles weren't necessarily preaching untruths. They were just drifting away from the main point because they wanted to be flashy and they spoke well. Um, they were, they, they had their schooling and they had their degrees and, and whatever, uh, education system they had back then. They were at the top of their class, and um, so they spoke well. They probably dressed even better. They were, uh, they were quite something to see and listen to. They had <clears throat> deep philosophies that had foundations in the Word, but had many side trails and, and uh, detours that completely lost the point, lost the focus. And they were looking to create an experience. They were looking to seduce these people with an experience in church rather than with preaching the true word. <coughs> Sorry, I'm not used to talking this much at once. Also, as we see uh, further down in the chapter, Paul 
defends about um, not receiving pay from the church. These apostles made sure they did receive their pay. That was kind of their thing. <coughs> I think the challenge for me from that was that it's not, it's not my job to be uh, impressive. It's not my job to draw attention to myself. It's my job as a, as a believer. It's your job as a believer to point people to the one who is magnificent beyond what we can imagine. To point people to Jesus as the simple truth of the gospel, the simple gospel in living person. Um, talks in Paul here, I mean in Paul, Paul talks in, in Corinthians here uh, in verse 4, he's talking about another Jesus. And these apostles had begun preaching something other than the simple Jesus. And a lot of commentaries that I was looking at said that there was, there was some type of teaching that they were trying to propagate that tried to mitigate all of Jesus' weakness. They tried to eliminate his suffering. They tried to show no weakness, no persecution, um, no humiliation, that, you know, that was too low for them. And yet, that is the only Jesus that will save us. Uh, that is the, that's the real Jesus. And it's important for us to see that we don't mitigate those things. And, and I don't feel like we have a problem with that in this church, but there are churches where <coughs> that's a focus. I read of one church where I think they were handing out machine guns or something. I don't know. It was crazy. They were like, it was like boot camp at church because it was supposed to be masculine and, and don't show any weakness, you know, man up and, and do all these things. But Paul was an apostle called by God to preach the gospel, and he preached, and he boasted in his weakness and in his, in his infirmities. So be careful that we don't preach something other than the real Jesus. Galatians 1, 8, and 9, if we, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Not only what we preach and teach, but what we listen to and what we, we take in. Be careful that we're not listening to something other than the real Jesus. One last little challenge here at the end of verse 4. Um, we've been blessed here in this church for Pastor Jeff and Pastor Glenn to we know their heart is to, to follow the scripture and to, to be true to what the Holy Spirit is leading. But as, as we move on, as, we, as people move on to different areas of life, and you move to another church and, and you listen to the next preacher that comes on the radio, just be careful because false teachers will slip into the church. Um, we're doing all, you know, as, as the leaders do all that they can to keep that from happening, just be careful of that. And when it happens, notice it and don't put up with it like the Corinthians did. The Corinthians were putting up with this and they, they just accepted it. They, they kind of liked it because it, it made them, made the, it, 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 it scratched an itch for them, I guess, with, with what they were seeking after, their itching ears. Um, so just a warning to the church here in general, but to each of you individually, don't put up with 
false gospel. Don't put up with something other than the real Jesus. Verses 5 and 6, um, Paul dives in a little deeper to his defense a little bit more. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. So, verse 5, it calls them, uh, these false apostles, eminent apostles. And they had elevated themselves to a place that was not of God. They had elevated themselves to a place of leadership in the church. And he's trying to see, show them that, speak, Paul is trying to speak to the church and tell them, get them to see that these apostles were um, not what God was intending apostles to be. He readily and openly in humility admits that he might not be a polished speaker. Um, there's lots of different theories on what that was. Was it a speech impediment? Was he a small man with a quiet voice? Or was he like David with a loud... No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the people really latched on to this sophisticated speaking in that day. And, and I think that's something that a pastor mentioned it recently. Uh, I forget if it was on Sunday. I believe it was on Sunday about just making sure that we're not going after the, the well-dressed, polished, educated, sophisticated, words flow out like honey kind of speaker. And um, you won't get that with me, so just don't worry about that. Um, Paul simply preached the gospel. Paul's power was not in speaking, and he knew that. Paul's power was in the gospel of Christ because, not because of his words, but because he knew God. He had a relationship with God. He was called of God. He was walking in that calling, and then is when he had the power. He had more power. He had, he has, there's, you know, Paul is all over the New Testament in churches, in letters, in it was not about Paul. It was about God. It was about the relationship Paul had with God that allowed him to do that. So just keep that in mind. Don't, don't think it's about attaining a certain level of uh, proper speaking or whatever that might get you there. That can uh, stir up the emotions and that can make us think. But the reality of it is the heart change comes when God draws us through the power of the Holy Spirit because the speaker knows Jesus and is speaking that. Paul goes on to uh, explain a little bit about why he didn't take money. Uh, we get into that a little deeper in the next couple verses, so I won't go deep into that now, but he just he, he admits that he might have upset them by not taking money. Um, but he readily, ad he, he won't back down. He's not going to give up on, on the knowledge that God has imparted to him. Uh, he, he readily admits that um, through what God has shown him, through his sufferings, through his teachings, God is revealing himself, making himself manifest in, in, all, the thing, in all things, in all that Paul's teaching. Um, I think I'd, this is another defense of Paul, so I had to go down that road a little bit again and just remind us that if we're going to defend ourselves, make sure that we do it in humility and that 
the, the main thing um, stays in focus. The knowledge we receive from God, the, the knowledge God has blessed us with, the gifts God has given us are not for ourselves, for our benefit, but it's for preaching the gospel. It's for defending the gospel for the sake of others, for reaching others. For, um, but it has to be done in humility. And, and we see that coming through Paul. It seems a little uh, sarcastic the way he wrote some of this, but he truly was uh, expressing his humility. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing that is done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross, manifested in those of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. It's a quote from Andrew Murray. And I think the part that, that was the whole thing was very convicting for me. I, it's like, okay, I'm not there yet and that and that. You know, it's, it's, it's painful. But what really topped it off in the end, manifested in those of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. Are you as a believer definitely subject to the Holy Spirit? Are you truly surrendered to what God is calling in your life? It doesn't have to be about what Paul is preaching here. It doesn't have to be the preaching and the teaching. But are you definitely subject to the Holy Spirit in your life? And that was very um, challenging to me to think about as I, as I looked at these verses. So I'm going to read all of 7 to 11 again. Um, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows. So, Paul is, is breaking down a little bit here and, and defending, explaining a little bit more about his choice to not receive money for, for speaking to them. So if you look at these people that were accusing him, they use this as an example of saying that Paul was not mature not, and he was an amateur at, at, at speaking. And he had previously taught them to do this. He had previously taught them that it's okay to preach, to, to pay the preacher. First uh, Corinthians 9 talks about don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. That's a tie back to Deuteronomy. But I believe Paul used that as an example to say that it's okay for someone to be a servant of the Lord and, and be reimbursed and, and maintained financially through the church. And so now they're taking this to the extreme and, and, and saying that that's the only way that they would... Uh, believe that he was really a, an apostle if, if he would accept money. Um, Paul did what he could to support himself. Uh, he was a tent maker in the city. It's obvious that it wasn't the best business 
business or business plan because either he was too busy preaching the gospel or tents were not in need that, that time of year or something because he was poor. He was constantly in need. And then the other thing was that he received from the churches in Macedonia. And uh, I think that talks about that in Philippians, I think it, it was. And basically he said he robbed them so that he wouldn't have to be a burden to the church in Corinth. And that word for robbed, I think it has to do with stripping a, a soldier of his armor. So basically it's like once, I mean, he's, he's just taking the bare minimum and, and taking whatever they had left and, and, and doing that so that he doesn't have to burden the people in Corinth. But these people twisted it and they said somehow now that's why he doesn't have authority because he's not letting us pay him. And, and people are so fickle. You know, if, if Paul would have received money, they would have began accusing him of preaching for a living. And <laughs> when they wanted to give it, anyway, he, uh, they used that as a source of attack for Paul. And it's probably not too far off to think that these false apostles were very well-to-do, rich uh, leaders that were becoming rich off the church and um, yet in the same breath would turn around and accuse Paul if he were to receive the money from the church. So it's a, Paul finds himself in a pickle trying to defend himself because no matter which way he turns, they're, they're going to accuse him. One other uh, reason for Paul not receiving money from this church was that he wanted to protect the authenticity of the message. Um, and that's something that I think is something that needs to be looked at realistically. I think it's, it's not in our church. I feel like God has blessed us with a pastor who preaches the word regardless of the finances, but that is something that we have to uh, be mindful of when we, when we seek out another church or when we, we hear things that is the preacher in it for the money and, and will the preacher compromise the message? Paul made sure the message was not compromised because he had, they had given him no money and he wanted to maintain the authenticity of the gospel, the message, so that people would not blame him. Paul's statement in, in 7 is pretty harsh. I think he's likely using um, sarcasm an embarrassment of these people to just wake them up. They had become so enamored with these false apostles that he just literally said, you know, as an apostle, do you think I'm sinning by not receiving the money? They had gotten to that level of, of accusing Paul of sinning by not receiving the money that they had wanted to give him. So um, I think he was trying to, to wake them up. And then last of all, in that portion, I think probably the most important has to do with maintaining the truth about the freedom and simplicity of the gospel. That's another example that Paul came to them free of charge. He preached the gospel free of charge, and the gospel is free to all who will receive it. Um, and that is, <clears throat> that's the good news about the good news is that it's designed to reach simple people. Thank God, because we all have a chance. And um, it even talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, it talks about the gospel being, I'll just pull it up real quick. Um, 
designed to confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So that was, I think, uh, another reason that Paul uh, did not receive uh, the the money was because he wanted to keep the gospel simple to them. He wanted to keep it open for all the people. Moving on into verses 12 to 15. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. This time Paul doesn't really use uh, any kind of sarcasm or, or embarrassment or beating around the bushes. He goes straight to it and says they're deceitful, they're false apostles and deceitful workers amongst the church. And very likely in leadership in this situation, uh, Paul did not back down from that, but Paul continued to um, go straight at the, the, the root of the issue. This ties back a little bit to what I said earlier about um, false teachers in the church and, and in, in what we listen to and in sermons we we listen to. Um, be careful of deceitful workers. There's a lot of popular speakers out there right now who have a massive following, who have uh, lots of perfectly put together presentations and are missing the true simplicity and, and truth of the gospel and maintaining that uh, throughout their ministry. So just as uh, we said earlier, make sure that we're guarding our heart to stay true to the, the gospel, not necessarily, um, you know, as a church we want to pray that we continue to follow Christ, but as, as individuals that's how it will happen. We maintain our, our simplicity and our, our truth following Christ by individually uh, fighting for ourselves to, to stay true to what God is, is leading. Something that um, jumps out at us in verse 13, uh, if we look at what a true apostle is, um, an apostle is someone who is called by God, sent out from God, whatever the, um, however you want to look at that, but they were called by God, anointed by God to preach the gospel, to go out and teach. But it says in here that these people transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. And that's a very... Um, I guess that's a important place to look um, when we're looking for that that deceit in leadership in in, in what we listen to. Um, they were doing what they could to fit into the church so that they could give their message the way they wanted to, and that's exactly how Satan works. That's exactly how we've seen him work throughout the Bible, throughout all of history. 
I have a quote here from Clark. It's a little deep and, and more than I can comprehend fully, but there's a couple things in here about the way Satan works that I wanted to, uh, to end on, and then we'll go back and touch on a few things. It is generally said that Satan has three forms under which he tempts men. The subtle serpent, the roaring lion, and the angel of light. He often, as the angel of light, persuades men to do things under the name of religion which are subversive of it. Hence all the persecutions, faggots, and fires of a certain church under pretense of keeping heresy out of the church. And hence all the horrors and infernalities of the Inquisition. In the form of heathen persecution like a lion, he has ravaged the heritage of the Lord. And by means of our senses and passions as the subtle serpent, he is frequently deceiving us so that often the workings of corrupt nature are mistaken for the operations of the Spirit of God. And, and notice in there that, that he uses our senses and our feelings to deceive us by through his uh, subtle subtlety. I think I'm going to end, uh, we're a little early, but I'm going to end, it's a good stopping point. The next part of the chapter really dives deep into Paul's suffering, and honestly, I didn't get that far in my studying, and um, I think that's a, a good another segment to look at. Uh, but I want to just remind us of the simplicity of gospel. That was just what kind of came to me with the sermon we just had on Sunday and then what, what this portion of Scripture, what Paul is preaching. And I just wanted to um, just remind us that the simplicity is in Christ. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, and, it, and it's just that. It's, it's not, you know, it's not about all the other um, activities and religions, and I think we have to be careful. Several things I'd like to just clarify is that we, we have to be careful that we, we do obey Christ as He's calling us. We do obey Him, and we do our work as Christians, but we need to keep the focus on, on Jesus loves me, and then therefore I will love others and, and preach the gospel to them. And I also wanted to clarify that I don't believe that um, our church is currently in danger of taking in false teaching but we need to be on guard for that because of the situation that we find ourselves in in the world and because of um, how we have seen decline from churches that look and appear solid um, I just I just feel the the need for us to be on the lookout and and um, study the Bible dig deep on your own and, and you will know the truth and the true truth will set us free and keep us free and will be uh, free in Christ in that way. I have some time. Uh, I will open it for questions. If anybody has any questions or comments, I'm, I'm open to that. I can't guarantee I'll have a good answer because I'm not studied up on this whole chapter, but um, any comments or questions, Frank? So his foolishness, he felt that, uh, David asked the question about verse 1, what was specifically foolish. Paul, Paul was a true believer. He was the real deal. He was a humble man, and, and he really thought it was unnecessary for him to have to go into his accomplishments just to prove to the people that he was a legit apostle. So he was like, this is dumb, but I have to do this so that you can see that the power of Christ is in me and this is not in my own works. So that's what was foolish to him. As a true believer, he understood. He knew that Jesus calls us to humility and not boasting, but he did this in a way that was humble and that was for the right reason. So that's what he thought was dumb. That's what he thought was foolish. All right.
Uh, I'm going to close in prayer unless somebody else has anything. Let's pray. God, we come to you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your goodness in our lives, and we ask that you would just complete your work in us, Lord, as we endure to the end, as we uh, keep the main thing the main thing and keep our focus on you, our personal relationship with you. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless each one of these men and those who are not here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.